Lester, the Nightfly. On the Pacific Radio Network. Also made available on PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. All hit radio. Lester the Nightfly? Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Lester the Nightfly. I'm Lester the Nightfly. Hello, Baton Rouge. Won't you turn your radio down? Opened. Welcome to Lester the Nightfly. This is your host, PJ Ewing. We have the work of Jonathan Ammons. It's part two of our conversation. We feature his new record, 
Far from the hearth. We also have a number of reference points that Jonathan has brought to our attention, companion pieces that you'll hear, and I have some entries into the conversation as well. And toward the end, you'll hear a really wonderful digest of some of the great new music, ambient music, contemporary music composers out there. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of a speed round. Let's listen to some music from Jonathan Ammons, shall we? This week on Lester the Nightfly. Starving Through Your Space Race. Yeah, uh, this was, I mean, the title kind of says everything. I was like when this record was being made was when all of those um, idiot billionaires were choosing to, uh, instead of helping everyone else that was dealing with a p- pandemic and, and, you know, massive inflation and everyone was getting evicted from their homes, they decided to race each other to space in large phallic um, homemade spaceships 
and uh, <laughs> it was just a colossal act of stupidity and and just just absolute gluttony. It was just astounding and stupefying to watch. And uh, it reminded me of uh, there's an old track called Whitey's on the Moon by uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who did the revolution will not be televised. Gil Scott Heron um, does a fantastic piece called Whitey's on the Moon. That's you know the opening line is a rat done bit my sister Nell and Whitey's on the Moon. Her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the Moon. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just up my rent last night because Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. I wonder why he's up in me because Whitey's on the moon. Well, I was already giving him 50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. Taxes taking my whole damn check. The junkies make me a nervous wreck. The price of food is going up. And as if all that crap wasn't enough, a rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. Was all that money I made last year for Whitey on the moon? How come I ain't got no money here? Hmm, Whitey's on the moon. You know, I just about had my fill of Whitey on the moon. I think I'll send these doctor bills, air mail special. To Whitey on the moon. Our society chose to pour all of her money and energy into going to the moon when there were people on Earth that were starving and dying and having a hard time. And just the, the odd... Placement of priorities was just is just something that seems to be a persistent theme in in capitalist society, and one that I have never quite understood. And I think that that's where this this piece came from was just watching that. And I I started making this one, and it sounded very very spacey. And I was like, oh yeah, they're they're up there right now. <laughs> they're they're orbiting us right now. Those 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 fat cat rich guys. You gave us a reference point though of Tim Heckler. I never heard of Tim. It's a sketch from a record of sketches, it looks like, from 2011 uh, called Dropped Pianos. What, what is this? Tim Hecker is a giant of the drone and ambient world. And he, he was one of the first, like, you know, when ambient music first started, it, and Brian Eno kind of coined the term, it was kind of this idea of music that should be in the background that's treated kind of like wallpaper. It's not supposed to emotionally influence you in any way. It's just there to be background noise. And then every now and then a melody might pop up that you're like, Oh, that's nice. And then you go back to your day. It's just wallpaper. But, uh, Hacker was the first guy to, he started playing all these festivals and stuff in the chill out rooms and he played his stuff loud and he wanted you to hear it. And it's, it's very unusual and very wonderful composition. He'll take, he does a lot of stuff with time stretching where he'll take something and stretch it out to where it starts out lined up, but then the piece just kind of falls apart as it continues to play. And I've always just really loved his, his sounds and his methods. But when he did this record dropped pianos, it was all piano based music, which I think a lot of people expect from ambient artists. And he just did it in a very unique and different way. 
where it felt very performative and it felt very much like a performance, not just droney loops and somebody noodling over it. It was, uh, there was an arrangement to it. And I think I've, that's I, I, when I heard that going on, I was like, Oh, you can really, this genre has a lot to do. It's not just somebody playing a drone over and over again. It's, there's a lot going on in, in this. Well, Jonathan, unfortunately, Tim is not speaking with me anymore uh, because I stuck an L in the middle of his name <laughs> and called him Tim Heckler. And he has never forgiven me. For that's, this. That's, that's some serious heckling there. No, was, <laughs> hey, yeah, I was he trying to heckle. It, it got all out of hand. And now it's, it's, it's a big problem. Not Tim Heckler, Tim Hecker. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> and um, it sounds amazing. Let's listen to sketch number three from Tim Hecker. this i can do this i can do voices <laughs> say words jonathan we're going to get back to your work now it's called just walk out it's from your recent record a little bit of rock and roll going on here in this one yeah i, I feel like i can't really get too far away from from rock and roll roots like i i've started out playing rock music and uh that was a big part of my my life and my career doing this stuff so there's always going to be an electric guitar <laughs> somewhere in my in my work and uh, I think this one was just one that when I started making it, it had all the, the trappings of just a kind of doomy drone doom kind of piece. <laughs> I don't even know if that's the genre, but it's kind of what it <laughs> felt like. And I've, I've kind of, you know, with the last record and this one, I kind of experimented with putting percussion into my ambient music. I typically don't do that. Most ambient music is kind of trying to get away from drums. Since I work from home, primarily I do a lot of house and pet sitting for people and I go stay in their houses while they're on vacation and take care of their animals. And it's just a really fun environment to try to record in spaces like that because you're always somewhere new and you can just take your gear in and set up. And this one house that I was taking care of, um, the guy travels a lot and he they used to work for a cruise line. And so he had these African drums, these dun-dun drums, they're massive, big drums. So I pulled them out and rolled them into the living room and just started messing around with them and recording them. And they sounded great. And so that's what I layered in those underneath this and then uh, took some samples and padded them out so that it sounds even bigger. And it was the first time I'd, I'd recorded that kind of drum, drum so it was really fun to, to mess around with.
as you can tell from what we're doing on this show, everyone, there are little couplets. We have a Jonathan piece and then a little bit of a reference point for whatever reason. The companion, let's say, in this case, is another Ashvillian, right? Uh, this is Ross. Is it Gentry? Yes, Ross Gentry. He's uh, um, He used to play as an artist called Villages and did this very... Um, dark, wonderful ambient stuff. And then he's started shifting more into a modern classical school. He does a lot of um, film composing and like horror movie compositions now under his own name. But mm. he used to work at a coffee shop in town when I was working for Moog Music. I used to work as one of their artist relations assistants. And uh, I would come in after work to this coffee shop and hang out. And th there was a guy that ran a record label that was like a, a drone and ambient label. And then Ross was what was always working in there too. So I'd always just sit and listen to what they were playing. And it was where all the guys who made this kind of music hung out. So it was a place where I got to meet everybody and kind of network and, and learn about who was doing this weird experimental music. And Ross's work just stood out to me immediately. I was like, this guy really knows what he's doing. And it's fantastic. The work is really, really good. Hmm. This is called Devouring the Whole by Villages, Ross Gentry, from the record Procession Acts from 2015.
question for you. Do you know the name Klaus Schulze? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, you say that like I'm supposed to know it, Jonathan. <laughs> I um, had a, a bus moment uh, recently. This awesome guy uh, that I has a daughter. I'm taking my kids to school in the city. We're um, rolling along and he's from overseas. German man, speaks Spanish. He, a really cool guy. He's super into the Klaus Schulze style a very progressive new music scene and apparently while i've been in new york city these 30 years there is a giant scene it's all centered on one venue i think it's called the stone or stone hmm. right near where we were on the bus and he said oh my i would go it was very expensive i'd go there once or twice a week it was only an hour or two all the big names everybody would be there pj you couldn't get a seat and it was the highly progressive stuff it's no longer there it's the university has now recreated the venue somewhere else but, but, but there was a scene that i just missed entirely while i was here <laughs> kind of painful to hear yeah those stories but you know the work klaus schulze then huh yeah I'm, I'm not super familiar but i'm aware of him he revered this guy he's like pj put him into spotify start listening to all the work like he was just that that was the name that struck me as the the place I need to go to, <laughs> to hear the sound. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. My piece to add to these two, we had just walked out from Jonathan, we had Devouring the Hole from Villages, and now I'm throwing in something that will sound a little bit as an odd oddity, but it's from a, a man goes going by the trade name Tusca, T-U-S-C-A, and it's called Open. This, if we're talking about emotions and feelings and taking you somewhere else, this will take you somewhere else, somewhere out in space, I imagine, but this will take you to very exotic places. Take a listen to Tusca.
we're back to your work. This is called The Crooked Tree That Marks the Trail from you, Jonathan. Tell us about this one. On each ambient piece that I've done, I kind of do a piece like this where it's the idea that like just because it's drone music doesn't mean it can't be playful. So I try to always have something that has like a, a kind of improvisational feel to it. And I, I really like the sound of hand pans a lot. So I, I often sample them and use them in in writing a piece. And with stuff like this, I'll often start with just a piano and two fingers on the piano just to kind of give it, find a melody that I wouldn't find otherwise. And uh, and then just kind of play and, and, you know, I'll record it a few times just to get the feeling right. But, uh, and the name of it, it, it comes from... In Native American lands, I'm, I live right in the heart of Cherokee Nation, and all over the woods, you'll find these old trees that have these very unnatural shapes. And it's from where they would mark hunting trails. The The Cherokee would mark hunting trails by basically bonsaiing these trees and turning them and warping them into a different shape so that when they're going through the woods, they'll see it and know that this is where they've planted something, or this is where you get the mushrooms from, or this is where you get you know, harvest these, these plants or that plant. And it kind of just gives the markers of the trails throughout the woods. So you'll be walking through the woods sometimes and just see these beautiful old crooked trees. And you're like, that was made by somebody hundreds of hundreds of years ago. That's so cool. And, uh, I kind of think that the music kind of does a similar thing of like when you find an old tape or you find an old recording that's kind of fallen by the wayside and you're like, man, how did I miss this one? It's been here this whole time.
Ezra Klein, the Ezra Klein show. Are you familiar by any yeah. chance? Yeah, the guy from Vox. Yeah. He does, uh, did an interview recently with Rick Rubin, the oh, yeah. record producer guy. Really worth listening to. By the way, that Ezra Klein show is amazing, first of all. And he was with Rick Rubin. He's like, I want to be present. He wrote a book recently about observations and creativity and stuff. And he said, I'm sitting here with you right now doing an interview and I'm noticing something in the ceiling. It might have been there forever. I, I, I'm sure it has been, but I'm just noticing it right now because I'm present, I'm observing, I'm seeing new things. It was, it was really wonderful. Worth listening to that interview, by, by the way. Nice. Really, really great. He tells a couple of music stories along the way, but it, it's, uh, it's really more about creativity and finding it and harnessing it. You don't have a problem with that, though, I don't think, Jonathan. <laughs> well, it's funny. There's uh, David Lynch has a really great book called Catching the Big Fish. And uh, what he what it's about is he's always done transcendental meditation. It's about how that process gave him the opportunity to just dive into his mind and be and make him more present and more aware mm. of the little things that were popping into his head and get rid of the things that were interfering with his head. And that was something that I started about a year and a half ago was a daily meditation practice. And it really does change the way you think and the way you perceive and the way you sit in things. And uh, mm. just being able to sit and listen to a sound until the sound finishes. Sometimes when you're in the studio and you hit something and it just goes into this reverb and you can just be like, you know what, I'm going to sit and let that go and see where it goes. And then somewhere in the middle of that, you find this whole other thing that you were like, oh, I didn't know I was looking for that but I guess I am. And uh, I think that that's part of the creative process for a lot of people is like finding the place to make space for being aware and being here and not just being on a task list of getting things done. And I just find it, I, I find it very ironic that in, in learning to sit for long periods of time and be silent and still, I became twice as productive <laughs> because it gave me clarity and focus. Whereas I was so ADD that I could never find that before, you know? Have you ever had the, uh, the chamber where it's absolutely silent? Oh, the deprivation chambers. Yeah. There's one of those in Asheville, actually, and I've never done it. Be wary. <laughs> Be wary. It was a gift 15 years ago to me by my girlfriend at the time. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't stay. I, I got up and it, it's, it's the temperatures, your body temperature. It's, it's dark. You're in water, you know, you're, you, there's absolutely deadened nothing. And you have, you deal with this absence. Yeah. It is challenging. <laughs> I know you, you would, I think would do a lot better than me. My brain. Uh, this this calm, this meditation that you speak of is is a, a scary, truly, truly to me. It I can't can be. imagine being comfortable in that right now. I, I'd love to learn, but I, I, my only reference point is really that chamber. Man, it was. I, I I lasted 25 minutes, maybe that was it. That's pretty good, though. 25 minutes is a long time. I mean, I I think most experienced mm -hmm. meditators go about 30. So I think you were mm. pushing the whole length. You know, it was tricky though. I, you start hearing things. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're like, and, and I, I think for for someone different depends on the chamber. You start hearing your body, yeah, the body doing inside stuff that you're like, what is? That? Well, that's the to me that's the coolest part about meditation in general is that it's it's a constant reminder that your brain is just another organ. It's no different than mm -hmm. your stomach. It's no different than your liver. It's no different than your the muscles in your feet. It's just another organ, and mm. it's constantly chattering at you. 
And so to be able to treat it like you do when your stomach growls at you and you're like, oh, my, my stomach growls, I'm hungry. Um, uh. You know, to be able to treat it with the same attitude of just saying like, well, it's telling me this, but that doesn't mean I have to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. you know? And I think that, that the ability to distance yourself from your own mind and understand that it is not you is right. a, is right. kind of a superpower once you start learning to do it because it changes the way that you approach everything. And I think it especially changes the way that you approach creative work because you, you start realizing like, yes, this thing's throwing me ideas. Not all of them are going to be good. Like I don't have to build my identity around these ideas, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's the reason why people love hallucinogens and, and weed so much. It's because it gives them that outside perspective where they get to mm. see themselves for mm-hmm. a second. And I think the, if you can do that and learn to do that on your own, that's, that's a lot more helpful. <laughs> Observer Effects, this is by Amulets from the record Blooming in 2021. Tell us about this one before we hear it. So Amulets is a big is a big inspiration to anyone that works in tape loops. Um, he's started a YouTube channel where he would basically give you a tutorial as to how to build a tape loop, how to work with different tape machines, how to modify tape machines. And then he's he'll also post like compositions of his and show you the tape loop and show you the machines that he used and show you how it was done. And uh, they're they're really elegant, pretty videos to watch. They're just very simple, very humble, but they uh, they, sh- they you get this really pretty sound out of it and this really cool composition. And I think he's kind of the, one of the guys that pushed uh, tape looping to the uh, popularity that it is now to where. It's impossible to find old cassette machines in Goodwill anymore because everyone's buying them to make tape loops. But uh, it, it, his work really taught me a lot about how to how to work with these machines and how to incorporate them into my music. Huh. I'm going to move on to the next thing and try to figure out the next instrument and the next piece of gear for the next record. But I felt like for this one, I really wanted to, to lean on, on cassettes. And so Amulets was a big help and was somebody that I listened to a lot in the process of making this record.
want to congratulate you on the work. I admire the creativity, the approach. I also, while acknowledging that any composer who creates a new piece, a song, an or orchestral piece, whatever it is, it's something new in this world, I have to believe when you're in someone else's home banging the drums or you're in a new space using the loops and creating unique sounds, there has to be a tremendous thrill because the earth has never heard that before. If I write a string quartet, we've heard a lot of them and we know what happens when the cello does this and the viola does that. But when you're doing the looping and you're playing with these different tools, earth doesn't know that sound. And that's just got to be a thrill. I have to believe. <laughs> I like to think so. I hope so. Mm. Uh, one more little speed round for us. Uh, and maybe you can add to this as we go. This is quick. But I wanted to just do a one last look at reference points. And I've listed a few and maybe you can add to them. And I'd like to put these in the blog at LesterTheNightFly.com so you can pursue video and the playlist is there and, you know, all this great stuff. These are the reference points that I have for what we've done. His name is Ulrich Schnauz. Do you know this name? Um, I, 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 I don't know if I do. I don't think I yeah. do. I saw him once. I met him. I told him, Mr. Schnauz, this is 15 years ago, that we named a goldfish after him, which we did. <laughs> And he was very impressed at the bar after his set in Lower Manhattan. It was a KCRW show, Jonathan, in Manhattan. Oh, nice. Okay, New York City. He's an electronica composer. It's more uh, beat-driven, a uh, little bit more housey, but very atmospheric. I think you'll like Ulrich Schnauz. I referenced Leos Janacek earlier, a composer from Czechoslovakia, Moravia. Uh, I love him. It's an opera work and many other types of work. I am going to follow up and find the, the atmospheric stuff, but he's known for creating a soundscape based upon, yes, traditional instruments, but trying to replicate like the sounds of the forest, that kind of thing. He wrote an opera called The Cunning Little Vixen, where all the characters, almost all of them are insects and animals. And he went to the woods to find those sound samples and nice. would come back in the morning and then use orchestral music, you know, instruments to create them. So Leos Janacek, we talked about Tuska. We heard some Tuska earlier. We heard some Boards of Canada. But two more for me, and then maybe you've got any others. If, I if do you have, have some to throw in on top of these oh, ones you mentioned. Oh, good. Let, let me go two more, then, then you're, you're on, my brother. Um, it's Benjamin Britten.
Oh yeah. Yeah. I saw Peter Grimes in the fall and uh, you can, I don't even know if you need to worry about the plot. The plot's amazing. It's a delightful, scary, horrible, beautiful thing. However, the music it, 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 uh, it, the, the atmosphere, the setting of the stage, it's mostly an orchestral piece. There's not an aria in the thing. And it'll blow your mind, the opera Peter Grimes by Benjamin Britten. Blow your mind. So worth a listen. And then lastly... from the maybe the 70s maybe earlier his name is ray lynch there's a record called deep breakfast no doesn't ring a bell doesn't ring a bell but i will look it up yeah it's super cute super cute uh it's it's all you know little dots and loops and in sounds of of space with a or it's early early days well before the tuscas of the world were, were out there right all right, those are my reference points. How about you? Um, when you when you mentioned the Ulrich Schnauss, it, it made me think of John Hopkins. If no one's listened to John Hopkins, the dude is just an absolute beast. His stuff is, he very much plays dance music, but then it also goes into this very like ambient, soundscape-y. It's, it, his work is just incredible. It's really, really good stuff. like a year or two where he just did music that was composed for people on mushrooms and Mm. it's just like very (laughs) psychedelic but very very good and uh, it's very it was meant to be grounding music while you're having this trip you know and I I think and if in any headspace it's just brilliant to listen to and then uh, um, Laurie Spiegel also was somebody that I almost put in the in the reference list when I sent it to you She was in the in the 70s and was one of the um, 
early, early electronic pioneer composers in the 60s and 70s. And a lot of the people that drove electronic music were women in that era because they weren't getting serious composition positions and serious conductor positions with orchestras or these places where they had trained in music. So they went to television production studios and they went to the BBC and they went to all of these other places that would allow them to create music. So they started working for Bell Labs. They started working for all these other spots where they could compose music and get paid for it. And they got to work with the newest technology out there and they became pioneers of it. And Laurie Spiegel's work is beautiful to listen to. It ages really well. And um, yeah, she works with just a lot of old Moogs and Buklas and like all these like great old synthesizers. Really? Oh, you know about is the Bukla well known? I mean, there's there's West Coast synthesis and there's East Coast synthesis, and you know the the Bukla was the start of the modular synthesis movement, and then the Moog. Oh, he decided to make everything controlled without a keyboard. And then right, Bob, right, yeah. Bob Moog decided to put a keyboard on his, and that was the two right. divergent paths of synthesis. And a lot of ambient music now is is um, very much driven by uh, by the the Buchla style synthesizers, by those modular synthesizers. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, this is this is so fabulous. You know the name Caitlin Aurelia Smith? Yeah, yeah. I did a show on her record, Let's Turn It Into Sound, about four months ago. Oh, very cool. I, and I, apparently, Jonathan, I'm finding from my, my bus, my bus buddy, right, who was telling me about all this avant-garde, she's a major in this movement, apparently, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know how important she was. There's she's also, a big deal. There's another Asheville guy that's very, very big. He came from Chicago area, Brett Naki, N-A-U-C-K-E. Huh. He's definitely worth, worth looking up. He does these beautiful pieces on on all on those modular synthesizers Modular synthesizer is just too much for me. I started out with the with a Moog, like I, I learned everything I know on on those types of additive synthesizers, and I I tend to stick with that. And I am primarily a samplist, like I learned everything I know through sampling. She's a harp player, but she plays with a lot of other artists. And she's actually from Asheville, but lives in California now. Just keeps putting out records. Like every year she's on a bunch of people's albums and she's making her own stuff. Definitely worth looking into her. I'm not going to say it, Jonathan. I'm I'm not going to say, and there he is, Jonathan, droning on about Mary Lattimore. (laughs) I'm not going to go there because it's dumb. It's, it's, It's not worth radio droning on about drone music droning on about drone music jonathan danger don't go there it's not funny 
as much as I think it might be funny. There's funny there somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. Tell us how to track your career and what to do and how to support you, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the most helpful way is to follow along on Bandcamp, jonathanammons.bandcamp.com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-A-M-M-O-N-S dot bandcamp.com. Or uh, just follow me on Instagram or Twitter or whatever social medias. I'm usually f- able to be found at Jonathan Ammons. And uh, yeah, just, um, you know, go go buy music. Go buy my records. <laughs> That's the buy your best thing you can possibly do to help support an artist is to buy directly from them. And Bandcamp yeah. is a brilliant place to do that because they, they do give the artist so much of, of their due. Well, I'm hoping to put another record out before the end of the year and then another one in January. So uh, I'll, right. I'll definitely reach out to you both of those Good times. enough for me. That Sounds works. Good. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. Thanks so much. This has been a PJ DJ production. Mm-hmm.